today's episode, you will hear the creative journey of a Chinese immigrant who served as a green beret and then started a medical device company that uses AI to make hospitals safer. I'm Bon Koo, the host of Design Lab. It's a show where we answer the question, how might we design healthier lives? Today, we have Michael Wong joining us. He is a Chinese-American immigrant who graduated from Emory and Columbia University. He is the founder of Inspirant, a clinician-led technology company that uses AI and computer vision to augment and improve clinical outcomes. He is a licensed advanced practice clinician specializing in cardiothoracic surgery and acute care. Prior to his entrepreneurial and medical career, he served as a Green Beret in the U.S. Army Special Forces. Each week, our producer, Rob Puglisi, produces the Design Lab newsletter. If you haven't signed up for it, you can easily do so by going to the podcast show notes. And while you're there, please, please give us five stars. This really helps others find out about the show. And we thank you for telling others about the Design Lab podcast. And now here's my conversation with Mike Wong. Mike, welcome to Design Lab. I'm stoked to have you on the show and continue our conversation that we had a few weeks ago in Brooklyn. Amazing. Yeah, we had a, we had a great night in Brooklyn. Inspirance Technology was on exhibit and we got to meet for the first time after missing you uh, in Philly. So absolutely, this is, this is just amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I got a chance to actually demo your device, Inspirin, and I was amazed by it, blown away by the technology. Can you explain to our audience what it is, what it does? Yeah. So Inspirance technology is an advanced artificial intelligence hardware coupled by powerful software that essentially digitizes the patient's care environment. And one of my biggest frustrations that I had as a clinician was the fact that patients were getting hurt whenever we were not with them. So mm. our technology called Augie, standing for augmented intelligence, automatically keeps an eye on our patients when we're not with them. So it prevents harm. It increases our ability to be able to practice safely and also increases our clinical efficiency as well. And it could even predict when a patient might yeah. fall, for example. So explain that. And for an audience sure. that doesn't work in hospitals, a common thing to happen is a patient, usually older, who is maybe a little bit disoriented in the hospital, they get up, they fall, they can they actually can suffer something like a hip fracture in the hospital. V very common and happens in every hospital across the U.S. Yeah, actually... Falls is a, is a huge issue and it's a complex issue. So when, like you said, whenever a patient falls under the care of the hospital or even elderly folks who are in nursing homes or assisted living, when a fall happens, it's catastrophic. It's the difference between someone continuing to live quality life with independence or completely a rapid deterioration of their health. Right. So we often think of medicine as having Star Wars technology when it comes to the active surgery itself. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, we have some really crazy technology, but the aftercare, which is just as important, is really very much in the dark ages. Mm, We're not yeah. really using advanced technology for that. So when a patient has a surgery or is under the care of an institution, when they fall, 
when they get injured, it's a very, very serious issue. And this happens in very, very high prevalence across the United States. Yeah. So every day, we, every, every day. single day, every, every single, single day. day. We speak to a chief clinical officer, chief nursing officer. If false is not on their radar, whether they're doing something extraordinarily right or they're missing something pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty yeah. major, right? Uh, so the, what makes false so difficult to predict and to prevent is the fact that it's a multidimensional issue, right? It's, if it's just about making the best alarm, a bed alarm, for example, when you get out of the, of the bed and then boom, be the alarm goes off. If, if it's just about that, we would have we would not be talking about falls right now, mm. right? The fact that falls is still such prevalent issues because it's it's multidimensional. It has to do with the behavior of the patient or as well as the staff, right? And also looking at all of the other factors that's in the electronic medical record system, such as their age, their previous history, the medications they're on, right, and the change of medication. Uh, whether they are on a diuretic, they are on a heparin. So all of these data points really come together to be able to predict that fall. So mm. what Augie does is Augie analyzes the behavior of that patient as well as the behavior of the staff and then pulling in all of the other data from the EHR into an algorithm that can say with very high certainty that this patient will fall or likelihood of falling is 89% in the next 12 hours. That's the mm. kind of predictability that we're going after here. And that's really the kind of holy grail, if you will, of being able to prevent adverse events from happening. So we talked about the software. What does the hardware look like? Is there something in the patient's room like, how does that work out? And I got a chance to demo this. So I'm, yeah, I know yeah. what it looks like. It's pretty yeah. cool, but explain to our yeah. audience what it looks like. Yeah. So Augie is a really sleek, small piece of hardware that you basically click right on the wall of the patient's room. It looks like a futuristic light, if you will. And Augie actually also lights up whenever it engages with people actually lights up. So it has social awareness. So and what's it, what's the size of it? It's about the double double the size of the iPhone. Okay. So yeah, so it's very small and it's the industrial design itself is thought all the way through. It's built with advanced sensors that are built within, including speaker, microphone, and two-way communication capabilities. Uh, so once Augie clicks on the wall, you just have to plug it in and you never have to touch it again. Automatically, it links to the Wi-Fi or if it's powered over Ethernet. So it's, it's very, very scalable. And so it's kind of like a Alexa that can see, right? That, that's right. That Alexa that can see, and that's a lot smarter because it has a powerful processor built into the hardware. So it uses edge computing, which means all of the analysis and computation takes place on the hardware level, mm -hmm. right? So instead of shooting, so Alexa, for example, would take the information, shoot it up to the cloud. Computation takes place there, and then information gets shut down, right? Mm. Augie actually retains all of the data on the local device level. It does the computation. It's basically a supercomputer on the wall. And then it actually classifies the data to go to the cloud and then eventually being dispersed onto the mobile application of the yeah. caregivers. What's cool is I 
Years ago, I think I saw an early prototype that <laughs> Marcel Botha, who's the CEO of 10X Beta, who yes. helped bring this to fruition of building yeah. the device. And I was like, oh, that's cool. But it was actually cool to see it a few weeks ago in Brooklyn. And yeah. it's actually being used in hospitals right now, right? Yeah, so some of the biggest hospitals around the country are, are using it. And uh, definitely a big shout out to Marcel, my dear friend and brother. I wouldn't be where I am without Marcel. That, I'll say that on record. It's been an extremely um, productive working relationship. And all of my ideas, all of my creative ideas, a lot of it started with the conversation with him. And yeah. in that first earlier stages of prototyping and manufacturing, all of it, is, it was critical. So he played a critical role. Him and 10X, 10X Beta played a critical role in the commercialization of Inspiring. Yes, we're in major hospitals around the country. We're also in senior living facilities mm-hmm. from, from East Coast to the West, to Florida, to Texas. So the application of this is not only in hospitals, but also in senior living as well. Do you have some stories of how Inspirin has been used to prevent bad stuff from happening to yeah. patients? Can, can you share yeah. some of these stories that you might may have gotten or heard? Yeah, a standard outcome that we've seen that has been published is the drastic reduction of falls. Right? Well, we've seen overall 75% reduction in falls, wow. 30% reduction in falls with injury. Right, So every single one of those statistics is someone that could have whether died or seriously been injured due to a fall. Right, We've also seen crazy uh, scenarios where, let's say we're implementing in a senior living facility, and all he didn't even go live yet. Right? It was just on the wall. It was kind of just in an ambient mode and it's just kind of there. It didn't officially go live. So there's no notifications that's going anywhere. But Augie started to realize that perhaps someone had gotten hurt inside their apartment in the assisted living facility. And Augie would actually ping us internally and allowing us to be able to literally pick up the phone and say, hey, somebody actually hurt. In those scenarios, you hear the worst case scenarios and the nightmare scenarios, right? Someone who's gotten hurt, they're on the floor and they're stuck there for 10, 12 hours. Yeah. And and no one no one is there to be able to know that happened. Happens all the time. I, I work in an emergency room and we get a story like this every single day. Yeah. And yeah. because it's impossible, a human can't watch over someone 24 7. yeah it's the math it's this math right it's just the number of people who need care and observation and and especially with the growing number of the retired and elderly it's just impossible right and you you know the old commercial i fall and i can get up and you know pressing the Uh button that's that's old school right but yeah but the thing is many people are not cohesive enough or are with it enough to be able to actually get to that button or remember to wear that button yeah. or, you know, so. Or you sustain a head injury and you physically oh, can't do yeah. it. Correct. Correct. And that happens all the time too. Right. So, so that's exactly why there's a need for this technology and to be able to essentially utilize really advanced software to be able to monitor these things and prevent it from happening. So all across the board, we've seen some really amazing results. And that's what makes this journey so fulfilling, right? It's because every week we get reports of the data that's coming back of the number of saves. We call it the number of saves that that we have. 
whether it's in a hospital or a senior living facility. And these are tangible, real lives that were saved because of this technology. Yeah. Right. And uh, when I started this company, I said, you know, if this thing works and I save one life, you know, that I would consider it successful. And I don't tell investors that, but uh, (laughs) personally, I would consider that a success, right? And worthy of my efforts. Um, But the fact that literally we're looking at hundreds and thousands of lives being saved on a on a monthly basis. And that's just extraordinarily rewarding. I want to get back to a word that you said before. You said creativity. And yeah. I talk about this a lot that healthcare is not associated with creativity and people go into healthcare yeah. and don't view themselves as creative. But I argue that in order to solve the problems in healthcare, that's going to require actually the most creativity. And so what yeah. you were able to do see a problem, come up with a creative solution and bring it to implementation is a highly creative act. Can you talk a little bit about that genesis? I mean, you're working in a hospital in, in New York City, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, like, yeah. how did you go from I have this idea to I'm going to launch a company and, and create a solution? <laughs> like, what yeah. what were those series of jumps? Yeah, well, actually. It's a little bit serendipitous because while I was working in the hospital, I actually got into a terrible camping accident. I put oh an axe through my knee, and yeah, and I had to I had three months of downtime, and I just saw all of the pain points that we had as clinicians at the bedside. Right, the constant number of adverse events that were happening, and it's not just the lack of effort of the clinicians, not at all. Right? It's, it's just a very simple fact that we can't keep an eye on everybody at all times. Right? So talking about creativity, I think at the inception of the idea, creativity is extraordinarily important because you have to think outside of the box. How do we solve this problem that hasn't been done before? Mm-hmm. Right? But also what's unique about how inspiring went about creativity is we also introduce creativity in the design itself, right? We, when we won the Linda Tischler award for design, we talked about how we dared to design something that actually is beautiful in the the clinical space, right? Something that's unique, that's beautiful, slick, modern, and it looks friendly. It doesn't look like this thing that's staring at you. It, and, it looks uh, it looks yeah. like one of those beautiful slick white apple mouses that when they first came out <laughs> and they were like, "Whoa, that looks so yeah. cool!" It's like yeah. it's like glass and it, it looks yeah. it looks really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And actually, what you didn't get to see in your lab was actually the LED ring around the the actual device that glows whenever mm-hmm. it engages with people. That really brings it to life, and also the sleek polycarbonate shell. And not only it protects the hardware, but also just gives this really sleek and modern look to it. That's like a floating pod that is kind of just yeah. on the wall. You know, that was a big design decision, right? I uh, I want to give a big shout out to Ahmed, who was, who was my design partner. And we had literally, I think, 14 days to design it before we go into manufacturing wow. uh, from zero. Because the original prototype that we built, I was just not happy with the design. Mm-hmm. I said, this has got to be better. It didn't hit the mark, right? So we literally have 14 days. And, and the decision was to make something that was beautiful, to make something that was tasteful, 
because God forbid something beautiful exists in an environment where healing takes place, right? Yeah, I know. Um, I know. <laughs> right? It's usually the opposite. If it's healing, then it's a terrible, yeah. ugly environment. Yeah, exactly. It's like, how can we make this as ugly as possible and, and just slap it into the, the hospital room? Yeah, well, beauty is reserved for museums, generally. Yeah, correct. correct. But, you know, to have function, to have beauty, to have design and creativity in that environment, so I think those are all some of the things that Inspire really did right. And, and we have to thank our design partners and all the incredible folks that came together in order to make it what it is today. I talk with a lot of physicians and nurses. They are so familiar with the pain points because they are yeah. taking care of patients at the bedside. Yeah. But I think very few of them can do what you did. You know, they, they saw a solution and to bring it to implementation. What's some advice that you could give to them of how to do that? And what were yeah. some, did you face any barriers? Was it like so easy for you to do? You're like, oh yeah, I got this idea. I raised millions of dollars. It's on a market. Like, was that an oh, easy boy. journey? Or was it a hard journey? You know, I always think back on, I think it was Steve Jobs, Stanford speech. He was saying, you know, stay hungry, stay foolish, right? As corny as that sounds, think if we were not foolish in the beginning, if we knew just exactly how hard it would be, I don't think any of us would have done it. <laughs> it's just impossible to predict the twists and turns and the obstacles and the and just I think so much of it is endurance, right? And and if you didn't have the passion for it, and if you didn't believe in the why of the journey. Right, the reason why you started the journey in the first place, then it's just completely logical and sane to, to quit, mm. right? To, to just not do it anymore. So, and I talk about this in my book that you have to have wait, a wait, very- Wait, wait, wait. You're writing a book. I am writing a book about inspiring. It's called Beaten and as in the unbeaten path and so on. But very much it feels like the journey was about not giving up and not giving in and, and really, really believing and remember the why of the journey, yeah. right? So for anyone who wants to go into it, one, I'm living proof that it's possible because I'm certainly not Elon Musk or anything. I, you know, I definitely don't, it's not coming from a background that's so unique that, that I just you know, made it happen. I just learned that you were a Green Beret in the U.S. Yeah. Special Forces. So you do have a little bit of familiarity with endurance. So. Endurance, yes. <laughs> with, with endurance and acceptance of pain, I think. That definitely came in handy. So it was good preparation for you starting a medical device company. It was great. It was great preparation. And I usually fall back to the the baseline of, hey, you know, if I'm not getting shot at today, and that's the day, right? So, <laughs> but the fact that, you know, I did it and I did it with a team of extraordinary people. Huge shout out to my co-founder, Paul Coyne, Dr. Paul Coyne, Dean Casido, Jeff Morelli. We kind of just came together, right? So having the idea is one thing. Having a realistic outlook of how difficult it will be is also extraordinarily important to remember the why, right? Our mission was to save lives, right? If I, like I said, if I can built this thing and it saves one life, right? I think I would consider that a success, right? Mm -hmm. and, and to build the team around you of folks 
who are equally committed and has that incredible grit, right, to be able to look dead in the eye many, many times, just the pure darkness of the unknown and also the darkness of kind of impending failure, that feeling, right, of the abyss. And to be able to look back at it and say, you know, I, I don't care. I'm just going to keep going. I am not going to give up. And you're going to have to kill me to, to make <laughs> me quit. You know, and, and my co-founder and I had the saying, you know, no surrender, no retreat. And that's from a Roosting song. And that kind of was built into the culture of the company, right? To, to be extraordinarily resilient and believing in our mission and not giving up until it's 100% accomplished. How long did that take from when you got the first idea to actually delivering the product? Yeah. So the night of the camping accident (laughs) was 2015. All right. 2015, I was stuck and I thought, okay, let's give this a go and let's see what happens. All right. So that was when it officially started. Then going through the prototyping process, we didn't commercialize until 2019. So it was that's, wait, that's really fast. Cause like, isn't like the average medical device, something like 10 years. Oh yeah. So we kind of did an accelerated version of it. And remember we had no ties to money. We, there was no rich uncle. There was no friend who, who came in zero. You, you, absolutely you don't, you don't zero. come from wealth. A lot of these stories, I, entrepreneurs, I, like they self-funded <laughs> friends and family. Zero, absolutely zero. Matter of fact, I mean, I know, I know you can relate to this. I didn't tell my parents about inspiring for about five years. <laughs> no, five years. They Shut had up. no, they had no idea. At some point, your, your parents had, are your parents are Chinese. Chinese, old school, first generation immigrant. I am a first generation. At at some point, my my parents knew I had quit the hospital but they had no idea what I was actually doing. So, (laughs) wow. You thought they would get angry at you? No, because I wanted to say I did this by myself 100%, that I did not take even their advice. I didn't take any input from them. Nonetheless, definitely no money or any support, right? And to be able to say this was entirely my own, right? Because everything else, whether it's school or or anything else, I felt very much it was standing on their shoulders and, and because they're sacrificed. All of it, it is, right? Yeah. But I wanted to uniquely create something that was my own, right? And, and that's why I kept it from them. Actually, how my mom found out was like a healthcare magazine got sent, <laughs> you know, out in the world and she picked it up. And there I was in, on the cover, and she said, I think we need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> that um, is hilarious. Yeah, but very recently, uh, Inspiring actually had a company retreat on Long Island, where, where I'm from. And uh-huh. I was actually able to invite my mom to the retreat. So she actually saw all of the people that work in the company, all of the amazing people. And she actually saw Augie live and working. And, and she said, well... You know, okay, this this really is a real thing. It's not that, just one project. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So you grew up in Long Island? Did you grow up in China? I grew up in China, and I came here around nine years old to Long Island, uh, okay. to a town called Farmingdale. And I'm a first generation immigrant. Wow. I'm not an ABC, uh, wow. American born Chinese. 
and uh, came here with no language and really the classic spoke, immigrant. Spoke no, no English and no landed, English. landed in New York. And the ironic thing is my, my mom was an English professor in China, but she never got to teach me. We're in China. Northeast China, you know, in Jilin province, you know, in a town called Changchun. And that's where I grew up. She taught English in, in the university. But when we immigrated here, because she was so busy with work, the ironic thing is she never taught me English. So kind of had to teach myself. <laughs> but yeah, classic immigrant story of extreme poverty. And around that time, you know, Long Island was, was not that diverse, right? So, yeah. so also a, a lot of racism at the time as well. So um, and that really humbled me. The typical, like getting called Ching Chong and Bruce oh, Lee yeah. and all that, yeah. all that stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, my, one of my earliest memories was a kid coming up to me and, and said, and this is like seventh grade. So this, you know, coming from a seventh grade kid, yeah. this kid walked up and said, we should have finished you all in Vietnam. Oh, and, my gosh. You know, and that all stayed with me, right? And I, I didn't understand the dynamics of the ethnic tensions and so on. But you know, certainly things have gotten a lot better on Long Island and so on. But that, that pain and that, that struggle really drives me in so many ways. And in many ways, that was, a, or that was a blessing that lit the fire underneath me to really be capable, right? And to not to be made fun of and to not be inferior, right? Yeah. But I wouldn't shade it for anything because it was so meaningful and it, it had given me so much drive. Yeah. Most immigrant parents from Asian countries either own dry cleaners or go into business as with restaurants. So my, my parents yeah. had owned a restaurant. What, what did your parents do? Restaurant. Restaurant. It was <laughs> yeah. yeah. I moved here. I was that kid in the front doing his homework in the restaurant. But <laughs> uh, yeah. you classic dropping you off at the restaurant instead of a house. And the classmates were like, why is the bus dropping you off at a shopping center? <laughs> I, I love going to Chinese and Korean restaurants and seeing the kids doing their homework there or working it. It just, it, I don't know, it just moves me because like I've been there, man. I know, I know what that's like. Every single time, every single time I, I talk to those kids and every single time, this is hard, you know, it's because so hard, yeah. it's really, really hard and you feel left out. You feel completely unlike, you know, your, your friends are hanging out, you know, whatever, and you're hanging out in this restaurant and, and just every single day in, day out, right? It's definitely, it's hard. So you and I definitely have that, yeah. have that in common, you know? <laughs> my, my cousins actually lived in the restaurant. They owned a restaurant in Chicago. And it was a the yeah. Korean, but it was a Chinese restaurant because back then it's like I don't think people knew the difference. And <laughs> yeah, right, right. And I remember like there was a different room at one of the dining rooms that wasn't used. Yeah. They all slept in that room. And then when I yeah. visited there, I was like, wow, they're like that the restaurants are home and their business yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I had a so I, as a kid, my mom put some carpet underneath the counter. So after school, I would take a nap underneath the counter. And uh, I remember clearly the customers would be ordering food and something, and here comes a kid that popped out <laughs> from the <laughs> counter. So my mom used to kick me if there's a customer there telling me not to pop up <laughs> from the counter. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, in the 90s, you know, those are the classic immigrant stories. You and I lived it, man. We, you and I lived 100% of it. I've been asking my guests a question at the end, but I want to bring it up now because it ties into some of your other ventures. If sure. someone were to visit you, Mike, where would you take them out to eat? Oh, man, uh, you got to come to Long Island and you got to come to Mogu. Mogu how, how, is a, How do you spell that? 
M-O-G-U, M-O-G-U. So mogu okay. means mushroom in Chinese. And it's a symbol of good luck. And also, I remember clearly Mario, the, the video game that you always went after the mushroom. So that's where their name came from. You came up with the name? I came up with the name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to have something that reflected the energy of it. And also, there's a very big tech component to the restaurant. So as we talked about, my parents operated a traditional Chinese restaurant for over 35 years, and I grew up in the restaurant. And I saw how hard it was. Hard, hard work. Yeah. I mean, hard, my, hard, hard work. I had to work in my parents' restaurant. It wasn't a Chinese restaurant or Asian restaurant, but I was like, I never want to do this type of work at all. And that's the point, right? Our parents made us do that so we can make make the decision okay this is not i'm a, I'm not about this life right i prefer school okay i prefer school right? <laughs> yeah hard hard labor i mean my parents missed my entire childhood there was no games there's no music recitals there was no graduations or anything it was survival right so the only day that we had off was thanksgiving because nobody ate chinese food at thanksgiving right? <laughs> but but i saw how hard it was and also I thought to myself, Chinese food is so popular in the United States, but yet there isn't a major brand outside of Panda Express that is, that is a scalable Chinese food brand, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at burgers, pizza, a Mexican food, it just, it's so saturated, yeah. right? The Chinese, if you think about an average Chinese takeout restaurant, it's almost like frozen in time, right? It's yeah. frozen in time how it looks, how it operates, the mom and pop feel to it. And also it's just, it's frozen in time. It never, it was immune to the innovations of the world, if you will. It was immune to it. So at some point, I think it was while I was still in school, I came up with the idea, I said, well, this is ripe for innovation, right? So why don't we flip this upside down? And I got to the very root cause of the stagnant nature of the market. And I realized it's because of the labor. It's because of the process. Yeah. Right? Chinese food is a highly, highly labor-intensive, skill-intensive process. I grew up in the restaurant. I still can't work the walk. I just can't do it. I, it's, it's so hard, right? It's extremely, extremely hard, and it's extremely hard work. So I said, well, that's the reason why not anybody can operate a Chinese restaurant. You have to have a very specific set of skills, background and you have to be able to have the language and ability to be able to work with immigrants and so on. Right. Yeah. So seeing my parents' struggles kind of motivated me. So, you know, just for the heck of it, what if I completely flipped this upside down? What if I brought the Chinese food industry to the modern era? Right. So that's when I started to play with the idea of full automation using automation robotics to actually replicate the process of Chinese food cooking. Mm. And at the same time, incorporating new technology to the cooking process to make it healthier and to make it more consistent and higher quality, Mm. right? So as someone who specializes in cardiology, I knew the stereotypical perception of Chinese takeout food, high sodium, high oil, right? Very oily. And, and you go into the self-loathing phase after you eat it, right? Uh, and I'm guilty of it, right? On the unit, 
I worked the night shift. We used to order Chinese takeout at night on a cardiology yeah. unit. Knowing, <laughs> how bad, knowing how bad it was. It's the um, best. I work night shifts too. I always crave something salty and fatty. <laughs> and afterwards, you just, you're like, oh my God, why did I do that to yeah. myself? So my goal was to automate the process, to improve the health aspect, and to bring Chinese food to the modern age. So Mogu is called Mogu Modern Chinese Kitchen. I created and invented the self-automation technology that cooks the food. So the very unique thing about Mogu is the entire kitchen is electric. There is, the entire kitchen is green. There's so little Wait, oil. no gas. There's no gas. You There's don't have no a gas grill. Open flames. No, wow. no microwaves, no fryers. So imagine not smelling the oil, right? So you really got to come out, by the way. Like I wasn't yeah. kidding. Like, you got to come out. And also, if you look down the cooking line, right, it's just a roll of automation robots that are cooking the food. And the operators themselves are 17, 18, 19 years old and being able to cook food with quality that's better than 12-year veteran chefs. Wow. So it really brought the Chinese food concept to the modern modern ages. We're able to reduce oil and sodium by 75%. And people enjoy the food without that self-hating phase that comes right afterwards. And the best part is my family's recipes are preserved in this cooking process. And it's, in a way, authentic, but yet modern. All right? mm-hmm. so, so Mogu is on Long Island, and my family still operates it. And we got quite a uh, cult following. And if you're ever on Long Island, please do uh, come by, say hi, and meet any of your listeners uh, and have a great conversation over great food. Love it. I love how you you are using tech to create healthier food and also to prevent injuries to patients in hospitals and older Americans in assisted living facilities. That is that is an act of creativity. I love that thread. Thank you. It's it's a similar thread, right? Thank you so much. Yeah. It's such a great story. Hopefully with better food, you're also preventing injury down the road, right? Yeah. Uh, That that, uh, perhaps you're eating healthier and having more quality life and so on. There are definitely some really consistent themes on the type of innovations that I devoted myself to. And between Mogu and, and Inspiring, I really had a fantastic career of being able to work with some of the best in the world and to be able to bring really innovative products to the market and seize fruition. So I, I'm extremely, extremely blessed. And once again, it's built on the sacrifices and foundations of, of our parents, right? Yeah. Those who took the leap. So yeah, I'm just extraordinarily fortunate to be able to share the story and also to be sitting here with you. And it's a dream come true. Now, if I'm working at a hospital or assisted living facility, or if, you know, if I'm listening and my parents are in one, my grandparents, and I'm thinking, I want this AI device in yeah. that facility. Like, can I order one? Like, how does it work? The, yeah. Do I tell an administrator at my hospital? How can we get one of these? Yeah. So the business itself is business to business. However, especially for those who have loved ones in assisted living or nursing home or anything like that, definitely urge the administrator and the executives of the institution and demand this extra 
layer of safety for your loved one. Yeah. Right. There've been many institutions who ended up using Inspire because the residents themselves and the family members really advocated for it and said, I'm not moving my grandmother in until wow. Augie is up on the wall. Wow. Right. So, I mean, we've seen that over and over again. So absolutely reach out to us. Let us know how we can help. Inspiring.com. You can reach directly to us and definitely you can demand it and you can advocate for your loved one. And hopefully our technology will, will be able to have a much, much wider market penetration yeah. so that all people automatically have it and you have to demand it. And what say is your company in right now? You raise billions of dollars and you're you're, you're <laughs> chilling out in Long Island, sipping tequila all day long? <laughs> no, or no, still, no. Are you still raising money for, for your company to scale? We're always in the trenches. It doesn't matter if series A, B, C, D, whatever it is. The mentality is we're always in the trenches and there's always that next step of innovation that we, we want to undertake. And Inspiring is in a high growth mode right now. Our products are very mature now. And we're working with some of the best institutions around the country to really deliver the next yeah, generation. Top, well, yeah, top tier academic medical centers, right? Yeah, that's right. Such as Mass General, New York Presbyterian Hospital, New Valley Hospital, really, really innovative institutions that are looking at this type of cutting edge technology for the first time and co-developing with us, right? And to be able to really think about the future needs of the market and addressing the immediate needs as well. We're in hyper growth mode and we just have the absolute best team imaginable of clinicians and technologists. Yeah. It's very unique in that we work very closely with technologists as clinicians. So you know, if you're a clinician, if you're looking to get into tech or if you're an engineer looking to get into healthcare and making impact, please reach out to us. Uh, we're always looking for the best people out there and we're extremely fortunate to be able to have some of the very, very best that works with us. Amazing. We'll, we'll put the link to you, your company in the show notes as well awesome. as Mogu. And I don't have to ask you which book that you would recommend because you're writing <laughs> one. When is it coming out? When can we grab a copy? I'm shooting for it to come out next April or May in 2023. The book's name is called Unbeaten, and it's a story of how we build Inspiring from zero as clinicians from the bedside. So I'm extremely excited to share that story with the world and also coming from a unique perspective, an Asian American, not only in the realm of entrepreneurship, but also in the realm of medicine to entrepreneurship. So... And I really hope that the story could inspire others to, to take the leap and to go on the journey. And I'm here to help. I really hope that I can become a source of help for those who, who want to go after it. Love it. Thanks. Thanks, Mike, for coming on the show. It's such a joy to talk to you, man. I am so thankful and grateful for the invitation. And I truly, this hour went so fast and uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. This is this has been uh, definitely one of the biggest highlights of the trip. Mike is on social media, but you can follow his company on Twitter at I-N-S-P-I-R-E-N-H-E-A-L-T-H. And reach out to me on Twitter at B-O-N-K-U and on Instagram at D-R-B-O-N-K-U. Design Lab is produced by Rob Puglisi, editing by Fernando Carrios. The music was created by Emmanuel Houston and the cover design by Eden Liu. See you next week.